0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this evening. We've been teaching uh, for the last uh, several weeks on uh, the Holy Spirit. We've looked at some things that uh, particularly that John told us that Jesus gave us instruction concerning the Holy Ghost. Now we're talking about uh, what most people call spiritual gifts, literally manifestations of the Spirit. Beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to the church and says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice the word gifts is in italics. That means the translators added it trying to help us with our understanding. But the original text has the word spiritual in the plural. Literally reads, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, that doesn't make sense to a whole lot of us, at least not right away. And, uh, and so you could well understand why they added the word gifts trying to help people understand. But that word spirituals literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So Paul is saying, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, folks, God is no respecter of persons, and he never changes. So if he didn't want them to be ignorant about things pertaining to the Holy Ghost, he does not want us to be ignorant either. However, you know as well as I do, it's one of the greatest areas of ignorance in the body of Christ in the world today. But he says, concerning things pertaining to the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know how that you were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led? Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You may remember in, uh, in John chapter fourteen, toward the end of the chapter, Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper, When the Comforter is come he will testify of me. Well, Paul's saying the same thing by the Holy Ghost in some different words. But he's letting us know that when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, he'll always testify and magnify Jesus. And, of course, his name. Verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. In other words, he's saying there are different ways the Holy Ghost will manifest himself. Different way that these different manifestations operate different ways that they're administered through the church but it's all the work of the Holy Spirit verse 7 but the manifestation of the Spirit that's what all of these are is the manifestation of the Spirit the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all now he's going to give us a list of nine and identify what these different manifestations are for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit to another faith One translation says special faith by the same spirit to another, the gifts of healings in the original text, every time gifts of healings is referred to, they're both in the plural gifts, plural of healings, plural to another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one in the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, we want to talk about um, uh, a little bit further about the revelation manifestations of the revelation gifts. Three of these nine things that are listed uh, reveal something. Three of these nine manifestations do something. And three of these manifestations say something. So it's a perfect representation of everything that we're going to need from God as the Spirit of God moves. Now I want you to turn back with me to John chapter 4. As I said, we want to talk a little bit more about the revelation manifestations or the revelation gifts. And the three that make up those gifts or manifestations of revelation are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. Each of those three manifestations of the Spirit reveals something that man could not know on his own. Now, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom are similar. The word of knowledge is supernatural rele- revelation excuse me, I'll get it a minute supernatural revelation of certain facts or events in the mind of God. Now God knows everything all the time, but he doesn't reveal everything all the time to us, but there are things that He will reveal. A word is a fragmentary part of a sentence. And so the word of knowledge. Is a revelation that will pertain to or reveal some past or present- tense event or occurrence. Now the word of wisdom is different in that it looks to the future. A lot of times people confuse the word of wisdom with prophecy. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse three talks about prophecy. It says, "He that prophesieth prophesieth unto men unto edification, exhortation and comfort." Well, there's no revelation in edification. There's no revelation in comfort. There's no revelation in the simple gift of prophecy. And so what happens a lot of times people will see or hear someone prophesying to the future or will look at, uh, at the Old Testament prophets, how that they prophesied things about the future. And people think that because they're prophets and therefore the gift of prophecy is in operation, that that's what word, uh, that, that the uh, gift of prophecy, rather, contains revelation. But not so. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation of the plan and the purpose of God. Supernatural revelation of the plan and purpose of God. Now, the only difference between the revelation that comes through the word of knowledge and the revelation that comes through the word of wisdom is when. It's a time issue. The word of knowledge is past and present, the word of wisdom is future events. Now, I want you to turn with me over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the other um, manifestation of revelation that makes up this group. We mentioned the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. The other one is discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is just supernaturally, the supernatural revelation that enables someone to see over into the spirit realm. As such, every vision would be a discerning of spirits. Now, notice this discerning of spirits, not discerning of devils. A lot of times people that talk about discerning of spirits or sometimes they even get it wrong, they think they have some gift of discernment, which the Bible says there's no such thing. But a lot of people that operate or think they're operating by the Holy Ghost in discerning of, of spirits, all they see is the devil's operation. Well, that's not what discerning of spirits is about. God really spends very little time on the devil's operation, as should we. But that which is given to us by the Holy Ghost is always greater in power and greater in substance than anything the devil can do. So anytime, as I said, any anytime that somebody has a vision... That would automatically, by definition, be discerning of spirits. But there might be other things that come. There might be other revelation that comes if somebody sees into the spirit. I think we mentioned last uh, Wednesday night the uh, the case in the Old Testament where Elijah was uh, I'm sorry where Elisha was seeing into the spirit realm and identifying what the King of Syria's military movements were. He would see where the um, Syrian army had encamped in order to ambush the military uh, or the army of Israel. And so he had send word to the king and tell him where the enemy was. And the Bible says that several t- this happened several times and Israel saved themselves from Syria's plans over this course of, of time. Well, the king of Syria, after this thing happens a couple of times, he comes to the, to the conclusion that they've got a spy in their midst. So he wants to know who's ratting them out, who's telling their... their uh, troop movements and stuff like that and somebody says that's not what's going on king what's going on is there's a prophet over in Israel and he tells uh, the king of Israel everything that you speak in your bedchamber and so the king of Syria sends out a great army to capture this prophet well when that army shows up Elisha's servant Gehazi looks outside and sees the army that's arrayed against them And he says, Master, what are we going to do? Look how many there are. And Elisha says, very simply, there are more that are with us than are with them. And then he prays that God would open Gehazi's eyes. And when he does, when the Lord does open his eyes, he saw chariots and and horses of fire encircling all the enemy army from Syria in great number. Now, that was revelation of something that is present tense. So that would be the word of knowledge in operation. But the thing that we always have to do is ask, Now, what's the point of the revelation? What's the purpose for it? Well, what would be the purpose for God showing at at Elisha's request? What would be the purpose of God showing Gehazi the army that was arrayed on their behalf against the army of Syria? Well, we can certainly assume that God's trying to reveal victory. So God's plan and purpose, this would also lead him to a word of, of wisdom to realize and to see for himself that God intended to protect them and bring them into victory, which is exactly what happened, exactly what happened. So that revelation brought comfort to Gehazi and showed him the God that he he served through his master Elisha. Now in John chapter 4, Jesus comes to the well of Samaria and he asks this uh, Samaritan girl To give him some water and so they have a little bit of a discussion about this she's surprised that a Jew would have anything to do with her because that was uh, contrary to the custom of the day and then Jesus talks about giving her water uh, a well of water that springs up into everlasting life she's thinking naturally and thinking well if I've got a well of water that I never thirst again as Jesus said then I won't have to come to this well and draw water every day. And so Jesus, after she says, give me this water, Jesus said unto her, notice verse 16, Jesus said unto her, go call thy husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Now how would Jesus know what her marital situation was? And I'm not trying to condemn anybody or put anybody under bondage, but five husbands? Her marital situation pretty much sums up her life, doesn't it? I would imagine that she would think so. I would also imagine that there's a little bit of um, shame, at least in her own thinking, that's attached with her marital experience. So he says you said well that you don't have a husband because you had five husbands and the the guy you're living with now is not your husband which means living together isn't the same thing as marriage as far as God's concerned thank you for your enthusiastic response notice verse 19 the woman said unto him sir I perceive that you're a prophet our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship Jesus said unto her woman believe me The hour cometh when when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You don't know what you're worshiping, but we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, or is prophesied to come. Which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Again, it was uh, contrary to the custom of the day. Yet no man said, What seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Notice verse 28 and 29. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not, or how could this not be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now I want you to notice that Jesus revealed something to her. I can only assume that uh, the five husbands, five different marriage thing is a real uh, important issue in her life, perhaps in her self-esteem, perhaps in the way she sees herself. But it reveals to her, That God sent Jesus. Now folks evangelism is easy when you got the help of the Holy Ghost. And she winds up going into the city. Saying this guy has got to be the Christ. And notice the reason she gave. He told me everything I've ever done in my life. Well he really didn't. But her marriage situation as we've mentioned before. Must have been a big part of her life. So here's a direct revelation, a supernatural revelation. And Jesus couldn't know anything about a woman apart from the moving of the Holy Ghost. Remember Jesus said of himself that I laid down my heavenly power and glory and came to the earth and was fashioned as a man. I think a lot of people have the idea that Jesus operated on the earth as the son of God who knew everything, who was all powerful and acted just as God would act in heaven. But that can't be true. It can't be true. If that was true, then Jesus wouldn't have been a worthy sacrifice for mankind because no man can operate like that. That's why Jesus talked continually about only doing the things that he saw his father do. There were times where the anointing wouldn't go into people in the city, his hometown city of Nazareth, for example. He couldn't do any great healing miracles or works of of healing except just a few minor ailments. Few folks with minor ailments got healed, but he didn't have any blind eyes opened. He didn't have any lepers cleansed or any cripples to walk. Now the Bible says God's the same today as it was from the beginning. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons, so it couldn't be that God would want the people in Capernaum, for example, to be healed and not want the people in Nazareth to be healed. Well, why weren't there? there were all kinds of people that were healed in Capernaum? A lot of miracles, major miracles. Mighty works that were done in the city of Capernaum. What made the difference? Well, the Bible says it was unbelief of Nazareth that kept Jesus from doing those great and mighty works. But if Jesus was omnipotent, if he was all-powerful, if he was indiscriminate in what he did and how he did it and operated with the power that he had with God before he came to the earth, then how could unbelief or anything else stop the power of God? It couldn't. So Jesus was subject to being received and believed on by the people then just like he is now. Another example is over in uh, John chapter 1. It says that when Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, he called Philip and said, follow me. It's when he's starting to gather his 12 disciples. And so he said to Philip, follow me. And then Philip went and found Nathanael and said, come see a guy that's the, the one that's prophesied, come see the Christ. And, he said, and something came about where Philip said he's from Nazareth. And so Nathanael asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Jesus' hometown had such a poor reputation that people, at least Nathaniel, wondered how anything good could come from that city. But Philip said, come and see. Next day, Philip comes to the place where Jesus was. And Jesus speaks up and says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, he's saying, I'm from Nazareth. I'm what you thought couldn't exist. And Philip asked him, he said, do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, how could he see him under the fig tree? Did Jesus tell the truth about that? he said that he saw him. In other words, divine revelation, supernatural revelation by the Holy Ghost showed Jesus where Nathanael was. And Nathanael says, you really are the Christ. And Jesus almost marvels at that. And he says, you believe in me because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You're going to see a lot bigger things than that. Thank God he did. But folks, there are times where the revelation of the Holy Ghost will be given just to show you something, just to encourage you, just to comfort you. You remember in the Old Testament, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, where Elijah called for a contest. His words were something to the effect of how long halt you between two opinions. Ahab was king, and Jezebel was his wife, and Jezebel was orchestrating the, the Baal worship in the land of Israel in order to try to control the people and exercise control over the people so Elijah just calls them out says if Baal's God let's serve him but if God's God let's get rid of Baal and serve him so they had the big contest they put the sacrifice on the altar and the the deal was whichever God answered by fire was the real God well the prophets of Baal do everything they can to try to get Baal to send fire out of heaven but Baal was a false god so there's nobody to send fire from heaven Elijah starts mocking him, making fun of him, saying maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And finally, he says, all right, my turn. And he makes it doubly hard. He rebuilds the altar. But in the middle of a three-year drought, he calls for water to soak down everything that there is. He has him dig trenches around the, the altar so that the water gathers up instead of runs off. And now he simply says a simple prayer. He says, now, Lord, show them that, uh, that I'm your servant, that you're the most high God, and I've done all these things at your word. Fire instantly falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood that's under the, sacri- that's under the sacrifice, consumes the stones itself, and the water evaporates the water that's around the, the altar. And then Elijah kills. He says he, the Bible says he did it with his own hand. He kills those 450 prophets of Baal. Well, word gets back to Jezebel that all of her prophets have been killed. So she sends word and she says, tell Elijah this time tomorrow I'll cut his head off along with the other prophets of Baal. So Elijah starts running. He's scared and he's running away. He finally gets up on the mountain and sits under a juniper tree and starts complaining to God about his plight. He says, I'm the only ones left. Everybody else is backslid but me. I'm standing alone among this, all these ungodly people and so forth. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I've, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Well, that has to be supernatural revelation, folks. How could Elijah know that any other way? The Holy Spirit revealed it to him that this was the case. Now, again, as I said before, whenever some revelation is, is operating by the Holy Ghost... We need to ask ourselves, why did the revelation come? Well, what would be the purpose for God revealing to Elijah? There's only one purpose that we can identify, and that was just simply to encourage you. Here's a manifestation of the Spirit that's in operation just simply to encourage Elijah. Now, there were a lot of other uh, manifestations of revelation throughout the Old Testament. For example, Noah had a revelation, a word of wisdom about the impending flood. And apparently, if uh, at least one way that we can read the Bible, it seems that he was uh, in building the ark for almost 100 years before the flood came. So he had a word of wisdom about a future event, that future event that would take place some 100 years after it was revealed to it. Now we've got other situations and other examples, like for example, the prophet Isaiah we use the 53rd chapter of Isaiah a lot because it tells us about what Jesus did to pay the price for sickness and disease as well as sin. And Elijah and uh, Isaiah received this revelation. And it has to be revelation. There'd be no other way for him to know what the, what the Messiah would do. There'd be no way for him to know what the Messiah would die for. What would be the purpose of his death. But the word of wisdom comes to the, to, Elijah, to Isaiah, the prophet and he writes all these things down well we would have to say that his writing was inspired of God it's, the, it's prophecy on written paper perhaps but the future events the looking to the future and the proclaiming through the, written, through the written word what the Messiah would do that's revelation that he couldn't have any other way and that's why a lot of times people think that prophecy is, is foretelling the future but that's not the way it works. Prophecy can be the vehicle whereby the future is foretold. But the simple gift of prophecy doesn't contain any revelation in and of itself. Now there are many other examples that we can use, both Old Testament and New. We just want to pick out a couple and uh, and see what the, the Bible reveals to us. Let's look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 tells us about how Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached the gospel. And the whole city of God turns out. Because of the words that he spoke. And the miracles that he did. And so the Bible tells us also. That after that. The disciples came back. Came down from Jerusalem. Peter and John at least. Came down from Jerusalem. And got these people that had just been saved. Got them filled with the Holy Ghost. But notice in verse 26. It tells us that the gospel began to spread. ...throughout the villages of the Samaritans. But the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot... And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he answered, How can I accept that some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture was, he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before the shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch Answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or some other man? Then Jesus opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was founded in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I want you to notice the direction that the Lord gave him to begin with. Now, Philip left the biggest revival ministry experience that he'd ever come across. But instead of staying there because good things were happening, because the Holy Ghost was moving and miracles were taking place, he listened to the Spirit of God about going down into the middle of the desert to a certain place where he could minister to one person and get him saved. This is a word of wisdom showing God's plan and purpose, not only for Philip and his life and his ministry, but also for the glory of God or for the gospel to spread. What do you think that Ethiopian eunuch did when he got back to his hometown? He's got a very prominent place in the, in the palace and the inner workings of the palace. He's, we would have to assume he has access to the queen herself. And so here's a move of the Holy Ghost that's getting somebody in position to minister to people who knows what the results were. Who knows how far reaching those results might have been. But it was important for the Holy Ghost to do it. I like the part that God just kind of puts an exclamation point at the end by translating Philip out from where he is and sending him to another part of the world. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that when the Holy Ghost starts transporting people, that might affect the way that we evangelize. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he sees the light and has a vision of Jesus. It's a spiritual vision. There are three types of visions. The lowest type is a spiritual vision. The second type is a trance where all your physical senses are suspended. And the highest type of a vision is is an open vision where you see things as if they are in the natural realm or see them as if they were in the physical. What Paul talked about or the Bible speaks of his eyes being shut. And, And we know that he was blinded by the glory of the light. But it was only after all these things had transpired and he was being led by the hand into into Damascus that he began to open his eyes again. So that means his eyes had to be shut. So here he's having a spiritual vision, the lowest type of vision, the lowest of the three types of visions. And he has this uh, vision of Jesus. He winds up getting saved on the road to Damascus and the Lord tells him to go into the city and from there it will be revealed to him what he should do. Now a little bit of time after that, The Lord appears to Ananias he's not a minister he's not a prophet he's not anything other than a layman or a member of the church and the Lord appears to him in a vision and tells him certain things it tells him where Paul is it tells him where to go to find Paul that's supernatural revelation it's not foretelling it's a past or a present event in this case it was a present time event and so he tells him where to find Paul the Lord tells him that he's praying. That's Revelation 2. The word of knowledge in operation. And then he tells him that Paul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now it doesn't say, I'll give him a vision so he'll see that. It says he's seen that already. So here's another word of knowledge. Now Ananias seems to buck against that a little bit and he says, Lord, I've heard about this guy everybody knows Saul how he's wrecked habit and persecuted the church and that's why he's come to Damascus to persecute us and then a word of wisdom comes to Ananias a word of wisdom that talks about the future it says I know all about him go your way do what I've told you to do because Paul is a chosen vessel unto me now folks that would have to be revelation that would have to be supernatural revelation because there's nobody on the planet that at that point in time would think that Paul had any purpose in mind other than to persecute the church and put people to death, just like he was consenting to do when Stephen was stoned. But the the Lord reveals through a word of wisdom, reveals to Ananias what his plan and purpose is. He says, go your way, for Paul is a chosen vessel unto me. I must show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake and to stand before kings and great men. So Ananias may have known what God's plan for Paul's life and ministry was even before Paul did. So he does. He does what he was commanded to do, what the Lord told him to do. Paul receives his sight and is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now in that case, the word of wisdom as well as the word of knowledge was necessary because it was such a critical event, a critical happening. You remember in the Old Testament, Jonah Jonah had a word of wisdom. Future events came to his understanding. The Lord showed him that if Nineveh didn't have somebody to preach to them so that they would repent, within 30 days their city would be destroyed. Well, that's when Jonah started running the other way because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He didn't want them to change. He wanted them to be destroyed. So he was trying to hide out from God for 30 days. But you remember the story. That didn't work out well. He winds up in the belly of the fish and then he winds up going to Nineveh anyway. He would have been a lot more comfortable, I'm sure, if he'd gone there to begin with rather than tried to run away. But the point is, the word of revelation or the word of wisdom came to him to reveal what God's plan and purpose was was to be. Now, folks, the word of wisdom is the greatest of all the manifestations of the Spirit. There's nothing greater than knowing what God's plan and purpose is. Nothing whatsoever. Let me give you another example of... of, uh, these revelation gifts in operation there was a church down in texas that brother hagan ministered at and uh and when he got there to hold the meetings that they were scheduled to to have in that church the pastor's wife told him of something that had happened just recently and told him that they had come up with the idea some of the women in the church had come up with the idea to knock on doors and and give them a little tract or something on behalf of the church and just try to reach the city like that well, they had been doing this for several weeks, and they had gotten one family to come to the church, but they didn't stick. And so other than that, other than go- having good intentions, they didn't have any results whatsoever. So the pastor's wife said to the group one, uh, one weekday morning, whenever it was that they were supposed to go out, she said, let's do things a little bit differently. We haven't been getting too much results with the way we've been operating, so let's do things a little differently. She said, let's stay here and instead of just praying for a few minutes, let's pray for a period of time and give the Lord a chance to direct us and tell us what he wants us to do rather than us just trying to do what we want to do or what we think we ought to do and hoping God helps us. So they did. They stayed there for some time over an hour, I believe, just praying. And the pastor's wife said that she had a vision as she was praying. She was standing on a street corner and she saw a street sign, you know how the Street signs are at intersections. And so she saw the street sign and it said uh, one road was Third Street and the other road was Maple or whatever. And so then she was standing in front of a house that was just about half a block down the the way from the intersection she had seen. And it was an apartment house or had been converted into an apartment house. It had two apartments on the bottom floor and two apartments on the second floor. So she saw herself in this vision walk up to the upper right apartment. And she saw herself knock on the door, and that was the end of the vision. And so she wasn't too sure about this. She had never had anything like this happen before. And so she wasn't too sure about this, but she said, well, let's go check it out. Talk to one of the other ladies. Let's go check it out. So the two of them went. They found... Where this part of town was. They weren't real familiar with it. But they found where this intersection was. They found where this apartment building was. And the the pastor's wife recognized it immediately. That's it. That's the place. And all she knew was she was uh, in the vision. She went upstairs to the apartment on the right. So she did just exactly that. There was a number of four on the apartment door. She knocked on the apartment door. And heard a a frail and feeble voice invite her in. Now again she doesn't know anything about what this is about. Or what's going on she's never had this experience before so she goes in after she was invited by this weak and frail voice and on the other side of the room there was a lady that was lying on the couch and had been there for some period of time she had everything set up for her as if she was sick and she said as she, the pastor's wife said as my friend and I stepped into the room the living room all of a sudden this lady on the other side of the room started screaming and shouting well they got her calmed down a little bit and found out what was going on And this woman said that she had seen, she had been praying that morning and she had seen this woman, this pastor's wife, didn't know who she was, wouldn't have recognized her under any other circumstances or know who she was, but she had seen in this vision, this pastor's wife coming in and laying hands on her to get healed. Well, she walked over to where she was, laid hands on her and the woman was instantly healed. Now from there, they got everybody else in the apartment house saved. As I said, folks, evangelism is easy when the power of the Holy Ghost is behind it. I think a lot of times what happens is we think about good things or what we imagine good things to be, and we try to come up with programs to make these things work or to affect these things, but nothing can take the place of the power of the Holy Ghost. Nothing. Nothing ever will take the place of the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, that sounds almost like a book of Acts type thing. What's the difference in what happened with this pastor's wife and this woman that had been sick for a long time? And what happened with Ananias being instructed the Lord to go lay hands on Paul? The Holy Ghost is still in the revelation business. He's still in the business of of reaching people. Now, I want you to turn with me again. And I know we've talked about this story a lot. But I want to turn again to this uh, event, occurrence that happens beginning in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 tells us about the the revival that takes place in Ephesus. Paul stayed longer in Ephesus than any other place that he went, probably about three and a half years. And after this great revival takes place, the Bible says all of Asia heard the word through the things that were taking place in the city of Ephesus. It was a, a landmark city. It was a place where people would come and go. And the people that they ministered to and got saved wound up going out as missionaries, so to speak, as they would go back on their travels to wherever they came from and such. So the word of God was reaching a lot more, a lot wider range of people, a lot greater territory than just the city of Ephesus. But beginning in verse 21, it says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, this phrase, purpose in the Spirit, if you look at other translations, you'll find that some people say, uh, some translations say he decided in the Spirit. Other translations say he resolved in the Spirit. But the one that I like the best said the Holy Ghost moved Paul to plan. The Holy Ghost moved Paul to plan. Now, how did the Holy Ghost move Paul to plan to go to Jerusalem and after that to see Rome? How did that happen? Was that just an inward witness Was that some supernatural occurrence from God to reveal His plan and purpose? Well, I can't assume that it was a supernatural or spectacular way for the Holy Ghost to operate since the Bible doesn't tell us so. And so it seems to me, just like in Acts chapter 16, where they're very conscious. Paul and his company are very conscious about where the Holy Ghost wants them to go. Remember, they wanted to go into Macedonia, and the Spirit told them no. Then they wanted to go into Achaia, and the Spirit said, no, not there either. Then they tried to go into Mysia, but the Holy Ghost said no. Then in the night, Paul had this vision of finding this, these people over in Macedonia, Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, which is Philippi. And so they, they assuredly gathered that that's where God wanted them to go. Well, if the Bible doesn't tell us so, I don't think we can make the assumption that there was some spectacular leading of God, but rather than just something Paul knew in his spirit, That he was supposed to do. Now having said that. Let me make this comment. These nine manifestations of the Holy Ghost. There's a public side and a private side. To all of them. In other words. There's a public side. To the way these things manifest. So that the, the whole church body is edified. Or built up or helped. But any manifestation of the spirit. Any result that a spectacular move of the Holy Ghost would bring about can be had, can be received just on your own in faith for example not everybody's going to be a worker of miracles but everybody can receive one not everybody's going to have special faith in operation but everybody can have Bible faith and remember Bible faith is what moves mountains in other words it can perform the miraculous so there's a the public side and a private side to all of these things it seems to me With some of the spectacular things or, or, well, I don't know what better word to use. With some of the spectacular things that the Holy Ghost will reveal to people in every city that Paul goes to after these things take place, it seems to me that if it was a supernatural or spectacular occurrence with Paul, we'd know about it. Now, we know what happens. We know that in the next chapter, several months later, in chapter twenty. We know that Paul is talking to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He's meeting them in Miletus. And he tells them, I'm not going to see your face again. He said, I don't know what things are awaiting me or will befall me, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. In other words, he's saying, every place I go, the Holy Ghost manifests himself to reveal to the people of that town what's going to happen to me. Now remember what I said before? just because there's a spectacular revelation or a supernatural revelation of the Holy Ghost, we have to identify what's it there for? Let me take a little side journey here. Remember in Acts chapter 10, when Peter goes up on the housetop waiting for lunch to get ready, he falls into a trance and he has a vision. He doesn't know what the vision means. It had all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And and Peter, rather, did not know what the vision meant. It happened three times and he still didn't figure it out. Didn't understand till the next day that it wasn't about eating unclean meats, but rather it was God showing him, the Lord revealing to him in this vision that both the Gentiles have been cleansed and become candidates for the new birth, just like the Jews. Paul didn't understand, or Peter didn't understand that. And so at the end of this vision, at the end of these three times where. But the same thing occurred after the third time, the Holy Ghost said to him, three men seek thee. They were already at the door downstairs. So here's a word of knowledge in operation. So the spirit said, three men are looking for you, go down with them and do what they ask, don't, don't doubt or don't question anything. They take him to Cornelius' house, who saw the vision, who saw the angel appear. Here's discerning of spirits. And here's a word of wisdom for Cornelius. He said, send to Joppa into one Simon the Tanner's house and ask for Peter, Simon Peter, who will tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Well, that's a, pur- that's a revelation of God's plan and purpose. Now, how did that word of wisdom come about? In vision form. Now, when Philip went down to the, to the desert where he met the Ethiopian eunuch, that wasn't a vision. That was just the Holy Ghost speaking something to his heart. Directing him from his heart. So there's any number of ways. You may remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the things that it says about these manifestations of the spirit. Is that there are diversities of operations. That means these same things. The same manifestation of the spirit can operate in different ways at different times. It's not always the same way. and It's not always the same kind of operation. So the next day when Peter hears the story about what happened to Cornelius and the vision that he saw, the instruction that was given to him. He understands, finally, he comes to the understanding that this sheep with all kinds of animals wasn't about meats and eating clean versus unclean animals. It's about that the blood of Jesus has cleansed all men. So the word of wisdom that's operating in in, uh, Paul's ministry By the time Acts chapter 20 comes along, he says the Holy Ghost witnesses to me in every city. Now Acts chapter 21, it tells us about coming to Philip the Evangelist. We've talked about him a couple of times. Philip the Evangelist's house who had four daughters that that prophesied and they must have prophesied to Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now folks, this is supernatural revelation. Here's the word of wisdom in operation. It's future events, future from that point in time that it was revealed to them. So it's, there's no question it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but for what purpose? Well, everybody that Paul identifies with or talks to or that the Bible gives us record of, interpret this to mean God is warning you not to go because they're going to throw you in jail if you do. Then it tells us in Acts chapter 21 that Agabus the prophet came down. He found out where Paul was and so he came down to Philip's house. He took Paul's girdle and bound his hands and said so shall they do unto the man that owns this girdle well Luke tells tells us that they of that place and we Luke's including himself the only one he doesn't include is Agabus he said we all besought Paul not to go but Paul had something that kept him steady Paul had something that he knew that they didn't know he knew that these things were going to take place he knew That this was the plan and the purpose of God. That's why he purposed in the spirit. It wasn't just a harebrained idea. For him to be on this track. If it had been just a harebrained idea. Then he should have heeded them. He should have given heed to what they had to say. And not gone to Jerusalem. But he convinced them that he was supposed to go. He would not be persuaded by their arguments. And so he persuaded them that he was supposed to go. Now look with me to chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, this is talking about the voyage that Paul is on after he's been to Jerusalem, taken captive just like the Bible said, just like everybody warned him about. And now he's going to Caesar. He's headed toward Rome. And it says, um, well, let's just recap so that we can save some time from reading some of these scriptures. It tells us about how that Paul came to a certain place and they were going to put him on the ship to send him to Rome. And Paul had a check in his spirit. He said, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and and damage, not only to the lading of the ship, the cargo and and the crew, but also the loss of life. But they didn't listen to it. They did what they thought as professional sailors they should do. And they got caught in a storm that was bigger than anything any of them had ever experienced. It tells about how that they were thrown, with, thrown about with the wind and tossed and so forth. Let's start in verse 21. It says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not lose from Crete, and to have gained this harm and lost. By now they've thrown over most of the cargo, trying to lighten the ship. He says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Now, how does he know that? He didn't know that before the the void started. How does he know that? He explains in verse 23. He said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God has given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Now, folks, if Paul has missed all these signs and warnings of the Holy Ghost, telling him, and the people telling him not to go to Jerusalem, not to go to Rome, and so forth, then wouldn't have this have been the perfect time for the angel to show up and said, Paul, this is your own fault? You're here because you wouldn't listen. But that's not what the angel said. Now, notice the angel is bringing revelation. The fact that he saw an angel means he, the discerning of spirits is in operation. But he brought him a word of wisdom too, showing him what was to come. He said, you must be brought before Caesar. There's no way to interpret that other than you're going to be successful in your journey. This voyage will wind up with you in Rome. The second part of the revelation is that nobody will die if you'll stick with me and do what I tell you to do. And that came to pass just that way. The third part of the revelation is it will be cast upon a certain island. And so notice how this revelation comes. Notice how this word of wisdom comes. It's delivered by an angel who's there to strengthen Paul. Now was the angel appearance necessary? You tell me. Could Paul, would Paul have made it without the appearance of the angel and the information that he shared? Probably so. My thought is that he would have. So then what was the purpose for the angel Appearing and telling him these things. Well, not only did it encourage the other people, but it strengthened Paul too. One of the things the Bible says that the Holy Ghost, the, uh, as he's translated from the Greek, it's the Greek word paraclete, it's translated into King James' English, the comforter. One of the meanings of the word paraclete is a strengthener. A strengthener. Now, I'm, I don't know about Paul so much, but I know if I was in Paul's situation, that angel appearance would have been greatly, greatly well received. I would have been more than happy to hear what he had to say. I wonder if there was anywhere along the way where Paul started doubting if he was doing the right thing. I wonder if the thought of doubt ever came to him or he ever wondered, maybe I should have listened to some of those people. Maybe they were right. You know as well as I do, that's exactly the way the devil would attack us. But now he's got strength by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. Through discerning of spirits and the word of wisdom, it keeps him steady. Keeps him steady. The Holy Ghost will show you things, folks. He'll show you things to come which have to do with future events. But he'll also reveal those things that Jesus said are are his. Well, that would include the word of knowledge. Facts and events in the mind of God would be something that the Holy Ghost would reveal to us too. God wants to protect us. He wants to protect us in our individual lives. He wants to protect us as a church family. When the church was, uh, well, it was within the first three or four years of the church. We were still meeting in the original uh, elementary school that we started in. There was a guy that uh, uh, that came into the church. He was very successful as a businessman. And he had an idea. They just started coming, maybe been there a month, maybe five weeks, six weeks, something like that. And uh, and he started pushing me for a certain type of ministry that he had a real heart for. And it was a missions work. It was, there wasn't anything wrong with the work that he was doing. He said that he had been involved in this kind of missions work for a long time, had developed some contacts in, the, uh, in Mexico where it was, uh, the missions work was directed. And so he wanted to, uh, he wanted to head that up. He wanted to, to get real involved in that type of ministry. And I had kind of mixed feelings about it. My first inclination was to say no, but then the more I'd think about it, it was like, well, what would be wrong in letting the guy try? What would be wrong in letting him do these missions, works, and so forth? And so I was kind of going back and forth on it, not sure what to do, and he was really, really wanting to do it. He was excited about it. He was um, was definitely pushing me, but it wasn't an obnoxious type thing that some people have done over the years. So anyway, like I said, I was kind of going back and forth about it, and at the end of a service, it was a um, Sunday night service, and at the end of the service, this guy was sitting, uh, as we're here, over on the right side, front row seat. And I was walking then, like I walk now. I've always walked when I talk. And so I was walking, in, and just uh, as I was ending the service, I looked up, and I saw this guy there, and I saw in big block letters over his, over his head, hanging over his head, like a sign was hanging over his head, the word deceiver. well i would never had anything like that happen before not much question in my mind about what it means not a whole lot of ways you could misinterpret that but it saved us it saved us a lot of heartache it saved us people it saved us a ton of money because it was after that service he came up to me and said okay Pastor Mike I know you've had time to think about it and pray about it what are we going to do and I just said we're not going to do anything if, uh, if you're dead set on that kind of ministry, then you need to go somewhere where you can find somebody that will support you. So he pulled his family out, wound up pushing some other pastor. I heard over the years pushing some other pastor to do this thing, wound up making a mess, splitting the guy's church, and there was hardly anything left of anything. And I, I remember when I heard that report, I thought to myself, thank God I saw the work of the Holy Ghost. Thank God the Holy Ghost revealed himself because I probably would have let him push me into something that I didn't want to do. Don't know what the end result would have been. There was another time, midweek service, still in the elementary school. There was a guy that came in after the service started. I was already ministry. And I uh, saw this guy come in, and I recognized him. I had known him or at least knew of him, really not close friends or anything. But I had known him from the years that I uh, worked in Tulsa at Rama for Brother Hagen. And so, finished the service, nothing was out of the ordinary, and immediately after the service, he came over to me, and we reacquainted one another, reacquainted with one another, shook hands with him, asked him how he was doing, and all of a sudden, I had something from the Holy Ghost. The Lord spoke to me and said, Unforgiveness is keeping him from receiving his healing. If he'll forgive the one that's done him wrong, I'll heal him here and now. So, I just stopped him from saying anything. I didn't want him to tell me anything but I said this I said the Lord just told me that unforgiveness is keeping you from receiving your healing who did you wrong and he proceeded to go in to tell me about the last several years he's worked for a nationally known ministry internationally known ministry I could tell you who it was you'd know instantly who I'm talking about and there was something that happened during his tenure uh, several years of working there well really what happened was he got close enough to see the, the minister operate in the flesh. Now, that's not to say that the that the the minister of the ministry was wrong. That's not to say that the blessing of God wasn't on them. The blessing of God was very much on them, still is today. But there's something about, there's something that people don't recognize. When God uses somebody in some meaningful or, or, or even spectacular way, when he uses them in supernatural things, people have a tendency to think that everything about their life is this person's life is going to be right but folks everybody has flesh to deal with everybody has flesh to contend with and usually when people come to the realization or they witness something in the flesh of a minister that takes them by surprise and throws them off guard they'll always have an opportunity to be offended that's what had happened in this case he decided after what happened and and what happened was wrong no question about it he decided after it happened that he it was his job his responsibility to call the minister on it and try to correct them and try to bring resolution as they thought that it should be well the end result was the ministry let him go and should have You can't have somebody operating in an offense. You can't have somebody operating just as much in the flesh to correct the person in charge and expect the ministry to do anything that God has for them to do. Now, what should he have done? What he should have done is just start praying for the people. Let God deal with them. You remember the Bible says that the wrong thing to do is to correct somebody else's servant? This minister was not their servant. It wasn't their job to fix it. Well, I shared with the guy what the Holy Ghost had said, what the Lord had said. If he'll let go of the unforgiveness, I'll heal him here and now. After hearing this story, and he went on and on and on. You know how people are when they've been hurt or offended. He went on and on and on, and finally I just stopped him and I said, look. I said, I can understand how you would have cause to to be offended. But the reality is the offense is not hurting the people that you left. It's robbing you from healing. And it was quite a serious situation. It was a matter of this sickness will kill this person if he doesn't do something about it and get God's help. And he walked away. He hung his head and said, I just can't do it. I was wronged. And they they should recognize that and they should correct that. And so he walked away. I heard in about six months that he had died. And he died cursing the people for what they had done to him. Now what's worth that? To forfeit what God has for you. I've never had something so clear and so concise come to me when I was ministering to other people. But the Holy Ghost just simply said, if he'll turn loose of that unforgiveness, I'll heal him here and now. But he wouldn't do it. God wants to manifest Himself to help people. He wants to manifest Himself to help people so that there be no lack in the body of Christ. Thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the Spirit of God. We thank You, Holy Spirit, for Your willingness to manifest Yourself in us and among us and regarding our church. We give you free reign and course, Holy Spirit, to reveal things that are hidden. Among, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do will to manifest your yourself in this church, in this church body. We choose. To follow your leading. We choose to obey your voice. And so Holy Spirit we thank you for ministering to us. Supernatural. gifts, The utterance gifts. And the revelation gifts of the Spirit. We choose to follow you and we will obey what you give us to do. In Jesus' name.